0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. And is that as we, your car alarm? it is not my car alarm. Okay. No, I'm pleased to say.
1: <laughs> I can't quite afford one that. That's the... it, that so should be your car alarm. <laughs> Sorry. I think
0: it sounds a little bit like the dean's mobile phone. Possibly.
1: Oh, okay. Okay.
0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. As we sit here with the first sunlight of spring pouring in through the west window, uh, it is a great delight to be able to welcome you here. If it's your first visit, you are indeed very welcome. Please come back and see us again. And if you are more regular visitors, um, it is great to see you. This series entitled The Mind of the Maker is designed to focus on God in our lives. Now that we are in this season of Easter, this great joyous, happy season, it has been said that we are most like God when we are being creative and that this is the interpretation of what it means to be made in the image of God. So I'm delighted tonight to be joined by a man who needs no introduction, really, Frank Skinner, a comedian, as you've probably already gathered from the opening, who has a wide presence on television uh, and on radio and in the theatre. He started in stand-up. I think
1: I, I do a lot of cathedrals as well.
0: Yes, this is your second. This is yeah. Your second I did cathedral. Canterbury. This, this is my
1: part of my cathedral tour. Can I say when I walked out there with with a man in a cassock, I really was expecting a gallows. <laughs> it, r- really what it There's a guard and there's a sad old Padre. That's true, but the,
0: the Church of England isn't that scary. You no. worry
1: about it. No, I, I see the Church of England very much from the point of a view of an outsider obviously.
0: Yes, of course, because you're... I,
1: I should own up that I'm Catholic early on. Yeah, That woman's left. They're not, they're not standing for it.
0: <laughs> our audiences are sometimes
1: a little bit sensitive. Okay, I'll be careful.
0: Before we get going on to our serious chat, we just want to spend a little time, reflecting on this place and this time of year and why we're here, um, to have some prayer and to have a short reading uh, to set the scene. So we will continue with that and then move into the first of our discussions.
2: Let us pray. God our Father, you never cease the work you have begun and prosper with your blessing all human creativity. Make us wise and faithful stewards of your gifts, that we may serve the common good, maintain the fabric of the world, and seek that justice where all may share the good things you pour upon us. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. A reading from St. Paul's Epistle to the Ephesians, chapter 4. I therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it is said, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive. He gave gifts to his people. When it says he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the same one who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ, until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. We must no longer be children, tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness in deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, We must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love.
0: Frank, we've just heard a passage there about growth, about, I mean, growing in spirituality, but I want to use it as a, uh, as a way of starting to think about your early life, because you are a Roman Catholic, practising Roman Catholic.
1: I'm a, yeah, a cradle Catholic, as I think they yeah, call them, yeah. That's
0: right. But uh, And were you, were you very devout as a child? Were you saying Mass in your room?
1: Or? Um, well, one thing that we did do, uh, we used to... Uh, I was talking to someone recently who uh, said... An atheist who found this kind of amazing, but uh, towards the end of the evening, my mom would suddenly throw a cushion down on the floor and and pray before she went to bed, and then my dad would do likewise and and i 'd do it and it was absolutely the norm and I like that I like the fact that we grew up in a house where there was always a, a palm sticking in the mirror, and there was pictures of the Pope on the wall and my mum and dad had a, a portrait, and if you stood at one side of it, it was the Virgin Mary, and if you walked around, it became Jesus. It was like a... It was classy.
0: So it's a devout, a devout household?
1: Yeah, it was devout, but in a... You know, the, the, we didn't talk high theology, but devout in a... In, you know that when they say you're supposed to become as a little child? It, we had that kind of... I suppose, simple Catholicism. So, what
0: happened? Because it didn't stay with you, did it? No,
1: when I got to 17, I decided it was all um, unacceptable, that I didn't, I didn't really believe in the Catholic Church anymore. I didn't... Halt, there was a, I kind of thought that everything that was preached ought to be in the Bible. And obviously, the Catholic Church believes a lot in tradition, extra stuff from the Bible. And I found that difficult to work with. So I didn't, I didn't stop believing in God, but I stopped believing in the Catholic Church. I had enormous arguments with my parents, particularly my father. And I left. And that was when I was 17 and kind of angry. And then I spent um, about 11 years trying other stuff. I'm going, I had a mate who was a Christadelphian and I went with him and I went to some Anglican services and that. But it never really felt like going home the way going to a Catholic church did. And I went to see this priest and uh, I said, you know, I've, I've been away a long time, but I've started coming to Mass. But obviously I can't take communion or anything. So I'm one of those, uh, those people you see sitting on the back rows it look a bit tragic and not really part of it. And he said, so tell me about what your, what your life's been like. And I started talking, and after I'd talked for about ten minutes, he said, I absolve you, blah, blah. And I realised he'd ambushed me into a confession. And he said, that's it, you're back in the church now. <laughs> and I thought, that's probably what I needed, actually. That was a relief, was it? Well, I read, in the end, I, the good thing about it is I think that my religion, my Catholicism and my general belief would have stayed where it was when I was a seven-year-old. I think a lot of people, as they get older and develop, their religion stays very sort of gentle Jesus, meek and mild. And because I left the church, I read a lot about the church, trying to justify my feelings. So I, I, I learned a massive amount about the church. that I, I, I knew much more out of it than I did when I was in it. And eventually I read a book by a man called Hans Kung, and he said the Church, the Catholic Church goes down a lot of cul-de-sacs but it is essentially on the road of truth and that was I realised kind of what I believe that you have to accept in a divine institution people by human beings that would be human failure and frailty and mistakes and pride and all that other stuff but there would be that you'd still be on that road to truth.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah, And is your faith? I mean, after this, this sort of wilderness, this going into the wilderness, I suppose, is a little bit. what Yeah, yes, i, guess I mean, I'd never thought of it like that. Priced, but I, I like it. Removing himself from that from the, that stream of society um, to come to come back to it again. I think you're right. It does make you stronger because you're more experienced in the.
1: And also the world. now, when I came back, I was there by choice. Whereas before, if you're born into it, you can be born into all sorts of things, and you never really think or question. You never, you haven't made, but this is something I've now opted for. So I am a cradle Catholic and a convert, and it's good to have both of those things, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah. Can I ask you a very personal question, which you can please don't answer if you don't want to, but I gather your are teetotal.
1: I am teetotal, is yep. that
0: Was that anything to do with with the, 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 the reconversion, or was it entirely separate?
1: Well, as you know, Catholics don't drink alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, it probably was part of the same thing. When I, when I got um, to 30, um, I noticed that my drinking had got a little bit out of hand. I used to have sherry for breakfast. I'd switch to Perno. And where I was drinking sherry, I never questioned that that might be a problem. But perno, I thought, this has gone too far. (laughs) So um, I quit. And really, I think I had a lot more time on my hands as much as anything else because drinking takes up an enormous amount of time. So I started thinking more. I replaced drinking with thinking. And um, I questioned a lot of stuff about my life. But the religious thing had been nagging away there for a long time.
0: Mm, So it's deep in your psyche.
1: I, think, I agree with that Salman Rushdie thing, that there's a God-shaped hole in people, and people fill it with all sorts of stuff. But in, in, in the end, you probably end up filling it with God, and the fit is correct.
0: I, enti- I entirely agree with you, I have to say, and I think one of the... I've said this here, here before, but one of the things that's very important for me is not just to be a beacon um, for, oh, a for this place. No, a beacon. Oh, well, sorry. <laughs> I'm not changing job just yet. No, I'm joking. But, um, to, for this place to be a beacon to the, to the non-believer as well as to the, to the, to the out-believer, because, because I think you're right, everyone has a hole in their heart which is shaped for spirituality and for God, and I think that's
1: really important. But you'd probably agree. I mean, I guess you move in more religious circles than I do, because... Some of the clergy are quite religious. Yeah. As I said, when I arrived, you know, God, this is your office, which is kind of amazing. But... Um, for your average believer in any faith, I think, in, in the everyday world, in, certainly in Britain, it's quite a freaky thing to be, I think. Mm. But I find I get less abuse and more inquiry from people. People are kind of fascinated that I go and kneel in a wooden box and talk about what I've done wrong for the last period of months. They find that, like, as fascinating as they find the idea of ghosts and all that, kind of stuff as mm-hmm. well mm-hmm. so I think people do have a real interest in it
0: I agree we're going to pause just for a minute to um, listen well slightly more than a minute about three minutes in fact um, to listen to our first piece of music this evening which is a Frank had said that he was uh, a fan of Bach so we're going to hear an aria from the St John Passion "Ich folge dir gleichfalls," I follow you joyfully um, which is spoken by one of the Apostles keen to run in the footsteps of Christ. Uh, and I thought it might be a good moment to have a piece like that after what we've just been saying. Mm. Thank you, Jan and Richard. There's, there's never enough clapping in church, I don't think. Oh, no, no, we don't, we don't do it here. No,
1: no clapping. Actually, we do
0: do. We've got a lot better at it recently. I think the Roman Catholics are slightly better at clapping. than We than clap
1: when... things like the crayon drawings done by the Sunday school yeah. kids. But I mean that, any other context, that would have got a massive round of applause. And here people go.
0: Stand-up comedy, Mm. let's think a little bit about uh, this and how you do stand-up as a Christian. Because it's quite, I mean, stand-up by its nature is quite satirical, it can be quite cutting, it can Mm. be quite rude. Yes. I suppose. Do you find, when you're being creative, when you're devising uh, your routines, do you find there is any tension, good or bad? Well, I
1: don't... um, My stand-up over the years... I've been a stand-up for 25 years. It has been uh, very rude at times. But um, it's never been um, blasphemous. I don't do gags... I would do a, a religious joke, but um, not if I felt uneasy about it. But I wouldn't do any joke I felt uneasy about. I think jokes about sex, I don't see that as an, an irreligious thing. One of the reasons I do things like this in Anglican contexts, but never do things like this in, in Catholic contexts, is when you do something like this in a Catholic church with Catholic people, you just talk about sex all night. That's all we ever talk about. You talk about women priests. You talk about gay marriage. You talk about etc. Um, if you want to talk about religion, you have to go to the Anglicans, I <laughs> But I um, so I think a lot of um, Catholics are probably slightly obsessed with sex, and maybe that's how, how that's come out in my work. But it, even then, I feel I talk about it in not what a lot of people here might think moral terms, but in a, in a way that is not about is not a sexist, exploitative way, Mm. but um, I don't think there should be taboo subjects in stand-up comedy at all. There should only be the treatment of those things that are taboos. You should be able, in the ideal, you should be able to talk about any topic.
0: Yes, I agree with you, And, and comedy, of course, is a great vehicle for talking about very difficult subjects, some of the ones you've been talking about. But I well remember going to see Ruby Wax's show at the Edinburgh Fringe on depression, which was extremely funny, but also um, reduced everyone to tears because it, it, it t- talked about incredibly difficult things which, which you couldn't do in any other forum. So I, I, I think you're right about that. Well,
1: for example, I believe that when I go up to communion, the... Um The the wafer, the communion wafer, actually becomes the body of Jesus. I believe that that transubstantiation takes place. But I always think that's a very severe test of faith for Catholics who are on the Atkins diet.
0: Or any, now, any vegetarian, is possible. Yeah,
1: but some people might feel that that's a disrespectful joke. But to me, that is making the point of partly what faith is about. I take communion wine, but I would still call myself teetotal. Because that, to me, seems a completely separate place. So A friend, sorry, a friend, no. uh, a, a guy said to me, you've got to get rid of this religious thing. He said, it, it's... it's It's a form of insanity. He said, what you you need, you need some sort of creator, someone in control. You feel a need for that. So you've had to invent them. He said, nobody made the universe happen. Nobody's controlling anything. There is no overseer. It, It just happened. The whole universe just randomly, accidentally happened. And that's it. we went back to his place for a cup of tea and he went on and on about this and he said it's just there's no plan it just happened it just happened then he said anyway that tea won't make itself I said why not <laughs> and I thought that was a, i mean it's slightly facetious but it, uh, it was a valid point I felt at the time
0: <laughs> you said um, you said that I, I think in relation to other comedians that it's cool to be atheist at the moment that it's yeah
1: it's an well, have, what is uh, very cool is science is very cool at the moment. And science is very much, I think, harnessed with atheism normally. And I also think, like, uh, my friend David Badil said to me, doesn't it worry you that all, all the other people, most of the other people who share your belief are idiots? And I said, well, don't you get that when you're at Chelsea? (laughs) But I know what he meant. And even I am a bit wary of Christians, even though I am one. I sort of think they're going to be a bit strange. Now, where does that come from? I don't know. In the main, I find them to be very nice people, but I'm slightly wary of them. I I did Greenbelt, you know, the Mm -hmm. religious festival. And we got there, and there was like a traffic jam, we couldn't get in, and I realised, how Christian is this? It was three motorists all trying to give way to each other. <laughs> now, if the world was like that, wouldn't it be a beautiful, that's what I think heaven will be like, but um, it is cool to be atheist, and it's very cool, I think, to be, certainly to be Christian is about as uncool as it, as it mm. gets.
0: There's um is, is it right that you, uh, you were abroad with Eddie Izard, who was talking about going on stage and saying he was going to talk about his transvestism? Yeah, well, suggested that you went on and talked about your Catholicism, but you yes. thought it would be harder for the audience to accept your Catholicism.
1: I think that's true. I think people are, um, are easier with transvesticism than Catholicism.
0: So is there a...
1: That's if... Not this crowd, probably, but um, <laughs> people in the street... Cause there's something, you know, it's something quite groovy about... Um, Transvesticism. Mm.
0: Is is there something, though, to try that you would ever try to do to turn that on its head, that situation? Well, I'll where tell you... Christianity is, where is, is. there something that you could do in your comedy, or that you think you do, or in your work, in your radio shows, or?
1: Well, what I do is, I, you know, I speak. When I was at school, I was about thirteen, and the teacher said, "How many people here go to church on a Sunday?" And I didn't put my hand up because no one knew and I didn't want anyone to know because I'd be a bit embarrassed. And I got home that night and I said to myself, I will never ever do that again. I really felt like I would denied Christ three times and the cock had crow. And so, um, as unfashionable as it may be, I talk about it quite a lot. I talk about it. I don't preach about it, but I talk about it like I would talk about going for a drive or watching a football match. It's a big part of my life, you know. I go to church every Sunday, I pray every day, so I talk about it. It's hard to do, you know. If I went on stage and said, do you ever find that when you're kneeling, prayer seems a bit more profound? It's a sort of observational comedy that wouldn't work, generally speaking.
0: So you'd you'd never go down the Dave Allen path, for example, of using... Situations, stories about church or stories about the clergy, which to to try and demonstrate anything.
1: Well, yeah, I I am now starting to talk more and more about um, religion, but I don't. You have I talk about it like I talk about everything else. I don't. um, I don't have a pious mode that I switch into, but um, yeah, I think it's part of me. And the kind of comedy I do, I write my own material, so it reflects. What's going on in my head? And it might be Doctor Who, and it might be um, Julian of Norwich. Hard. hard. Remember her?
0: <laughs> it's very hard to get laughs out of Julian of Norwich. But well, well, you know, you can.
1: yeah, but, uh, maybe we can, uh, we can work on that together.
0: Guilt pangs? Do you ever have any guilt pangs? Guilt. Do you ever do, have you ever done any work? Have you ever done a, a gig where you've said something or done something which has left you thinking, oh. I'm not sure that was. I'm not sure I should
1: quite have done that. Um, I don't know if I've done that from a religious point of view. Um, I think occasionally I've done jokes and I've looked back and I've thought, mm, actually, I'm not happy with that. But that is inevitable. If you work near the line, if you say, which is where all the laughs are. If you say this light side of the line is acceptable, that side is unacceptable. It's going to be funny if you if you can if you're in the postcode of the line, but you don't go over it. Occasionally, of course, you will falter. Mm. But, um, I, I don't know, you know, I mean, I, I think it's important to talk about it as one would talk about other things. I think people take on some sort of different tone when they talk about religion. They, they start, they use words that they would never use elsewhere. And I think it stops people explaining it. I think as believers, I'm assuming there's a lot of believers here, we have an obligation to kind of sell it a bit. And the reason I'm glad I read those books and the reason I still continue to study religion, if you like, is because I feel I've got an obligation. If someone says to me, so what, you know, what's this thing about the Pope and... Um, the uh, junta in Argentina. I feel I need to have read up about that and be able to talk about it. And I think we all, that's kind of our job, I think. It's not enough to say, oh, well, you know, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. You've got to be able to argue it. You've got to, we are all salespeople for it, I think.
0: Yeah, I'd agree with that. i certainly agree with that. Um, we're going to have another change of direction um, in a minute because I read another article about you when you expressed a desire... Um, to be a bit of a monk, to, be, um, to have some quiet mm. time and meditation. And we're going to, before we go on to talk about it, um, Michael Hampel. My
1: girlfriend actually often says to me that I'd make a great priest. And I've often wondered, just what does she mean by that? <laughs> One can interpret that in many ways. Perhaps we'll perhaps we'll come back to that in okay. just a few minutes. <laughs> um, that's that's
0: very interesting. Michael Hampel, our presenter, is going to read um, a poem of Thomas Merton's. Yes. Um, who is a was an American Cistercian uh, monk, and it's called "In Silence." And I think it's the most wonderful, um, atmospheric, very good for this space. I think um, in the way he uses his words and the silence that they create.
2: Be still. Listen to the stones of the wall. Be silent. They try to speak your name. Listen to the living walls. Who are you? Who are you? Whose silence are you? Who, be quiet, are you, as these stones are quiet? Do not think of what you are still less of what you may one day be. Rather, be what you are. But who? Be the unthinkable one you do not know. Oh, be still while you are still alive and all things live around you, speaking, I do not hear, to your own being, speaking by the unknown that is in you and in themselves. I will try, like them, to be my own silence. And this is difficult. The whole world is secretly on fire. The stones burn. Even the stones, they burn me. How can a man be still or listen to all things burning? How can he dare to sit with them when all their silence is on fire?
0: So stand-up comedy to silence, how does that work? You make your living oh, I, through talking.
1: Yeah, but I, I, I manage to usually get fair bit of silence on the average gig. <laughs> Not deliberately, obviously. <laughs> I, 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 silence, I think, is... Uh, not much of it about, really. I, I find in church, I don't know how it is in Anglican services, but in Catholic services, they'll say, we'll now have a brief moment of silence while you consider your own intentions. And no, and, 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 and whoa, that was it. Because I think people are a bit frightened to leave um, the gap. And uh, I personally think that uh, that's where you're going to find God, if you like. I think sometimes, like I was saying about people trying to express their religion, it's words fall a bit short. And I'm a big fan of words. Um, but sometimes um, I will just pray by just kneeling there.
0: I think you have to be very brave to be silent. I think you have to be very brave to pray, I have to say, to be honest, to do good prayer. And I think silence is wonderful. Um, we're, we're uh, in a strange way, lucky with this building because true silence in this building is incredibly powerful. We, we've almost got a bit of it going on now, which is, which is rather wonderful, apart from me. Well,
1: silence is an incredible... It, it, you know, when you... at a football ground, and they say, well, now have a minute silence for someone, and the ground falls silent. You realise it's much more powerful than all that chanting and screaming that goes on throughout the thing.
0: It is, and it allows you to get into yourself. But I'm one of the things Merton... Says he, says. he says, how can a man be still or listen to all things burning? Cause, you know, there are things in the world which are so unjust. There are things which are so difficult. In a sense, sometimes the silence, the idea of the monastery, or Keats' ode to a nightingale, whatever whatever analogy one wants to use, is, is, is too difficult, isn't it? It's too di- we, can't, we can't exist in that silence. How do we, how do we f- express well, the faith?
1: I think that you... Um I think what the silence does is it kind of fuels you to go and do whatever you need to do out in the world. I think it... I guess I believe that God is inside everybody. I think that everyone in this room has got a little flame burning inside of them. We've all got the same one. You could put them all together and it would be the same flame. And we are joined by it. And there's loads of people here who will never, ever speak to each other. But believe me, you are joined and you have that single flame burning in you. And I think sometimes you need to contemplate that flame and just be... You don't need to think about it, though. Just be. And you start to feel it. I've, I, I developed the capacity to stop thinking. And it took a while, but I can now not think for, say, a couple of minutes. And it's like switching a computer off and switching it back on again, I think. But I think in there, there is something. And I don't hear voices, and I don't even have big thoughts. But something happens in that just being that afterwards makes me feel completely invigorated and I think that must be God because I don't know what else it's not rest it's a short period of time of course I could be wrong and I'm sure there are atheists that do meditation and say that we get the same feeling I don't know but to me if you do that and after you try and say the Lord's Prayer this is probably a bad thing to say in here, but the words seem more than you need. They the, 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 they seem to clutter you a bit. You you don't, They're great. It's, I love the Lord's Prayer, and you know, and I and, and things like the, the Thomas Merton and stuff is great, but you need something else. And sometimes that it just feels like too much, too busy, too constructed. We were talking earlier about some singers are very technical. And some singers, they hit the bomb note and stuff like that. But they have, they have more feeling and more power in them. And, and, and sometimes the technical structure of a prayer can stop you from feeling from here, and you start feeling from here. And, and I think this is where the, the fire is.
0: I think that's right. I think, and, and to, but to, be, to get to that stage, I think, is very brave. Because I think we often use the words and the sights and the smells and the sounds as, as the prop to help us come to something holy, but to throw all those away mm. and to exist on your own in the silence, I think, is the real challenge of prayer. And I think, I think you're absolutely right. I think then words do become uh, almost unnecessary, because you've reached something.
1: But I think it's a shame that they, there isn't more silence in services, though. Mm. The, past, the, the bits of silence, are tiny little crumbs from the table do
0: you know the piece of music by john cage called four minutes yes i've forgotten i'm looking at my musician friends four minutes 30
1: yes it begins with a piano lid opening that's right the and piano then lid opens
0: for those of you who don't know this piece um the pianist walks on stage opens the lid of the piano sits down and there's there is then silence for four minutes 30 and the, the joke of the piece is the noise made by the audience Which is distracting, fascinating, and and bizarre. I I think we're we're frightened of silence. I think we're we're frightened of um. We we cover ourselves up. We're just doing it now. Mm. (laughs) We we like human beings like to protect themselves. I think that being. I think you are absolutely right to talk about this this giving up.
1: Well, I met a guy who was a fighter pilot who was shot down in the first Gulf War, and um, he came round from dinner to my flat. And he'd been locked in a darkened room for three or four weeks. They just chucked him a bit of food in every day. No one spoke to him. And he sat in silent darkness. And he said, for two weeks, it was the most nightmarish experience I have ever had. I thought I was going insane. I was terrified. I wasn't sleeping. I didn't know if it was day or night. It was horrific. And then after about two, three weeks, the third week... A curtain sort of opened. He said, and suddenly I had incredible clarity. He said, and that clarity has informed the rest of my life. I'm actually glad I had that experience. He said, it was like, for the first time in my life, I'd just stopped and thought, and I needed to get all the mess out of the way, and then suddenly everything was illuminated. And I've heard other people talk about this. You go into some sort of hermit like retreat. Two weeks of terror, and then suddenly, clarity. It's
0: like a, a dark night of the soul.
1: Yeah, I've never had the courage to try it myself, but maybe I will. Let's do it together, Andrew.
0: After Wednesday.
1: Yeah, okay. Might be rather necessary for me. Are you busy Wednesday? <laughs> there's, a, there's a small gig in the morning. Oh, yeah, of the course. The rest of the day's fine. I like to think I'm the support act for Wednesday.
0: We're going to listen to another piece of music at this point. This is the sort of Desert Island Discs moment of this. Um, so there's some more Bach um, for you from the organ this time. It's the prelude in G Major, um, BWV 514, by Johann Sebastian Bach. Thank you're very excited at the end of the organ piece. <laughs> yes,
1: yeah, I was going to say, I should end more gigs like that. You could just... just <laughs> um, no, I... I feel a bit of a phony that I, t- I said to you I was a fan of Bach, because I'll tell you what happened. I was, I was in my car listening to Radio 3, and uh, a ma- there was a programme on about mathematics in Bach. And the, the presenter of the programme, I didn't understand a word he said, but he was so passionate that I thought, I need to go and discover Bach, even though I don't know what he's talking about. Listen to what it's done for him. So I have since listened to some Bach. Um, and when before I was saying, I think we have to go out and sell it. Maybe that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. But it was an amazing programme. I understood nothing of it. You'd have, you'd have got it. It might have been you. It was. <laughs> no,
0: it wasn't me. No, I don't know. It's a bit, bit, bit late for me, Bark. I tend to do a lot more early music. Oh, OK. It's far too modern. I thought you far meant a mo- bit
1: late for you at Radio 3. <laughs> Yeah. We're
0: going to, you said to me before you came out here that you've never done a gig that was less than two hours, but we're, we're not going to hold you to that tonight. No. Um, so I'm going to ask you one of those slightly sort of um, uh, silly questions that interviewers sometimes ask in, in order to wrap this up, that if we, could, if we could lock the doors of this cathedral and get everyone out so that you could be in here for half an hour, an hour, two hours, as long as you'd like, with one person, who would it be and why? Is
1: this a living or dead?
0: Oh, it's entirely up to you. Uh, All things are possible in St Paul's Cathedral.
1: <laughs> OK. Um, it wouldn't be Christopher Wren, because I think he'd lose me about ten <laughs> minutes in. Um, I've just had a similar experience. We went downstairs, and Andrew said, I've just got to go and get my cassock on, and he left me down with Lord Nelson and the Duke of Wellington downstairs. <laughs> in the, That was slightly He went away, and I thought, I was excited about this. Now I'm slightly frightened. <laughs> It's it's a very good question. I think it might have been um, Cardinal Hume. I once saw um, Cardinal Hume speak. Um, Cardinal Hume was the former head of the, in case you don't know, former head of the Catholic Church in England. And I I have a bit of a bugbear about homily sermons. I've I've heard 10,000 and about six good ones, I think. And he told a story about... He said, I'd been in Africa recently. And this was about the length of the whole thing. I was in Africa, and there'd been a civil war in this country, and there was a small child who was a survivor. And he was at the hospital. And he kept... He just did this. And he just kept doing it. And he said, what, what is it with that child? What, what's wrong? And they said, well, this child has lost... His whole family, his parents, his brothers and sisters were all killed in the war. He was about four. And they said, we think the gesture is just, he's simply calling people in. He's sort of calling for intimacy and love and asking people to get closer to replace what he's lost. And then he ended the sermon. And I've still, I've heard sermons that lasted 20 minutes with all sorts of references and stuff and yet still it's the simplicity of that and i think cardinal hume had the capacity to go to the essence of things like that and i still think about is you know how many people are actually doing that just come a bit closer
0: Very, very great person. I think it's a a wonderful choice. We're going to finish this evening by listening to one more piece of music from Jan and from Richard, from the Messiah, um, If God be for Us, Who Can Be Against Us, which is perhaps a good text to have after the story that, that you've just told.
1: And can I say, before we go, I've never met anyone before who said, I don't like barks, it's a bit too modern. (laughs) <laughs> that's brilliant. So brilliant.
0: That's a, that's a very in-joke for my few fans.
1: <laughs> I love it. Get that. I really love it.
0: <laughs> Thank you very much for being with us tonight. It is very good to see you here. Please come back and see us again. Next week, in fact, if you come back at the same time... Not Wednesday. Not Wednesday. <laughs> We're booked. Next week on Sunday, uh, Clarissa Dixon-Wright will be here, talking about her life and her faith and her career. Um, We've had applause this evening, which is wonderful. Um, I think it would be only fair to say a huge thank you to Frank Skinner for giving up your time, for your wonderful thoughts and for guiding us in this great, joyful season of Easter in which we now find ourselves. So thank you very much.
1: Thank you very much. I guide it.
2: Thank you.